Hello and welcome. My name is Tucker Johnson and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff that global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you aren't already subscribed to or following Nimsy Insights, now is your opportunity to do so. If you follow Nimsy Insights on LinkedIn, then you will be one of the first people to know when we publish new localization industry research or when we schedule new live events like this so that you can sign up ahead of time and get those reminders directly in your notifications on LinkedIn. Uh, Speaking of events, we have... An upcoming event today, we've got another another double feature today where we will be talking about the emotional toll of keeping up, specifically in regards to the proliferation of artificial intelligence. What does it mean to have that human in the loop? So join us directly after this event if you'd like to um, hear more or engage in the conversation about that. Quick introduction to today's topic. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about and exploring a realm that holds immense significance in shaping the identity of an entire continent. Africa, with its rich tapestry of languages and cultures, faces a challenging, faces a big challenge, the dwindling numbers of literary works published in indigenous languages. While the spoken word can easily be forgotten, the written word has the power to immortalize a language. And at the heart of this preservation lie three pillars, speakers, writers, and publishers. As we dive into this multifaceted world of African language publishing, we are going to aim to shed light on the role of publishers in safeguarding and promoting the linguistic heritage of this vast and diverse continent. And to do so, we are going to be pulling from the June issue of Multilingual, where there is an article in there called The Five Strategies for African Publishers. And it's co-authored by Christian Elongue and Sylvain Agbolo, who are joining me today. I will introduce them now. Um, Christian is uh, one of the co-authors of this article, and I'm thrilled to welcome him to the show. He's a passionate advocate of the for the promotion of African languages, especially in the fields of education and publishing. His insights challenge the status quo and inspire hope for a future where African languages and their to, can find their rightful place in literature. Thank you for joining us, Christian. Uh, we also have- Thank you, Johnson. Welcome, welcome. We, we also have Sylvain, the other author of this article. Sylvain Ogbolo is not only passionate about African languages, but he also plays an integral role as a freelance translator and project manager, seamlessly bridging communication between English and French and other languages. His expertise doesn't stop there, though. Sylvain is a proud member of the European Association for Machine Translation, reflecting his commitment to advancing technology in the realm of linguistics. He has a master's degree in translation and new technologies, and he brings a fusion of tradition and innovation to the field. Furthermore, he is the founder of the Multilingualism Week Conference. Sylvain has fostered a platform for dialogue, collaboration, and awareness on the importance of linguistic diversity. Welcome. That is quite the impressive resume you both bring to the show, gentlemen. Did I leave anything out? 
Not at all <laughs> on my side. <laughs> well, let's let's dive right into it here. Um, once again, thanks for joining the show. I want to go to the recent article that you published in Multilingual. And for those of you that are following along at home, this article was published in the June issue of Multilingual. And we are on page seven where we're looking at five strategies for African publishers. And I, as I was reading this article, I was, I was very interested in the position, the take that you had on this issue. I've had other folks on the show talking about indigenous languages, African languages, but you're really speaking to publishers and what publishers can do. As we mentioned in the introduction, there's the readers, the writers, and the publishers. And you go through um, five different tactics, strategies, um, ideas for the publishers. So to kick us off here, I wanted to read a quote from from the article about the promotion of African languages. You say, therefore, when it comes to the promotion of African languages, the number of people able to write and publish regularly in those languages is also key. But when one looks at the book industry in Africa, one can easily notice that the number of books published in foreign languages outshines those published in regional languages. It's easier to find a Shakespeare in Africa than a local author. I'm sorry, I'm not going to try to pronounce my with my English tongue. Um, that is sad yet true. The reality calls for a more strategic and holistic valorization of African languages through any possible medium, especially in education and publishing. Christian, why don't you start us off here? Kind of outline for our listeners the, the challenge that is faced and summarized in this quote here. Um, why aren't there more African languages um, being in print out there? Yes, um, thank you so much, uh, Johnson. And thanks again to Ninzi Insight for this opportunity of sharing more about this publication that has been uh, done uh, by Multilingual. So uh, coming about the topic of the day, uh, why is it that we don't have enough African languages in print? I believe um, it's mostly about the issue of accessibility uh, in the sense that you know many Africans know how to write the language, but very few actually know how to write it. You know, And we believe that one of the reasons is that, you know, um, some languages are not yet codified and there are a lot of efforts that aims or contribute towards the codification and the digitization you know and use of languages using technology and that's one of the reasons why some publishers usually find it difficult because if you want something to be in print usually it has to be digital you know because the printing is the conversion of the digital into paper so because of that difficult access or the, the, the difficult availability of resources or, or technology in African languages, you know, dif uh, most publishers find it difficult to publish a book directly in an indigenous African languages. So that's the main reason. There are many other that um, I believe uh, Sylvain might want to share also. Please. Sylvain, what are your thoughts? Um yeah, thank you so much uh, once again, Johnson, for this opportunity. And uh, globally, 
uh, or let me say holistically, my brother Christian Elongi has has um, done justice to the question. And uh, so the only few take that are accurate is uh, mainly just to reiterate what he said, that it's because uh, one, uh, I think um, many factors must be put in place for this to be done. And that is why we came up with the, the Trinity of promoting languages, which is the speakers, the writers, and publishers. And in the case of African languages, publishers we saw, or when we did our research, are very key, um, or their, their main, um, um, uh, let me say, partners to the promotion of African languages. In this case, the only challenge that we face in Africa today is that one of the, the challenge the publishers told us is that uh, when books are printed in African languages, people do not really want to purchase them because they cannot read them. Most of them do not read them. There's, so there's no ready market for the books published in African languages. That is one. Mm -hmm. But then I think that there is a remedy to that. Okay. When we prioritize our uh, indigenous languages, then there will be a need to print books in um, in our African languages. Recently, I was interviewed uh, at the Directorate General for Translation at the European Parliament in Brussels. And then they, they asked me what we are doing when it comes to the promotion of African languages. And I told them that, okay, in Africa, usually in our educational system, we use English to teach mathematics, science, and all of that. And so all the books we have are already by GES using the Ghana Education Service as an example is only in English. However, if we are able to put all these uh, signs, maths and everything in African languages, you see that we will yield more results because the, the student will be able to understand very fast and be able to relate to what we are saying. So government plays a role they need to push when it comes to the, the prioritization of languages. Should they do that, then publishers will see the ready market. Just take for instance, that uh, the Ghana government says that, okay, all math books from age one, or let's say class six or year one, as it is in other countries, to year six should be in Akan, for instance. Mm. You see that publishers will rush to do so. Huh? So that, that is just a few, uh, thoughts to share on the topic yeah no very very good points and for those of listeners that aren't aren't aware out there is that the just to reiterate what you're saying my understanding is that english is really the main language of instruction for children and students in in a lot of different places around the world because exactly just exactly so i mean in a way you could say you have your let's say your first language is a con yeah. Right. It's a tree. Yeah. You speak a country for your first languages. Exactly. But in a yeah. way, one could argue that that's your first spoken language, your first exactly. written and reading language, your native reading yeah. language could be argued mm -hmm. that it's actually English because that's what you're taught yeah. in the schools. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this this is a challenge. And we're talking about what publishers can do today, but this is a challenge that's just multifaceted. 
and touches yeah. on a lot of different areas around society. So it's not just like, hey, if we change these one or two things, it's going to fix the problem. It's more of a mindset shift and a change. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to jump into that conversation. But before we do that, let's, let's go to the points that you outlined in, in the article. You, the article is five things publishers can do to help promote African languages, so five different strategies. And I'll just read them out loud here for the, the sake of our, our listeners who can't see the screen right now. So number one, African publishers should bet more on writers who write in African languages. Number two, creating more dedicated publishing houses focusing exclusively on African languages. Number three, network with African language translators for the bilingual translation of books. Four, organize writing and reading competitions in African languages. And five, engage policymakers to invest in and support more indigenous publishing initiatives. So these are, and I'm hoping we'll have time to get through all of this, these today, but let's start with this first one. African publishers should bet more on writers who write in African languages. What, what does that look like in, in practical terms? I'm very interested in like on the ground practical terms. What steps can, can publishers take in order to do this? Um, okay, thank you so much, uh, Johnson. So I basically believe that um, there is no gain without pain. Um, we all know the relevance of speaking African languages. Ask any African, is it good to speak African language? They will say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, but when it comes to what needs to be done, you know, then people realize that because of the barrier that are in between, it kind of make many to be discouraged, which makes, which means that Ultimately, for things to move, some will have to pay the price for others. And we believe that publishers are well positioned, you know, to contribute towards that. There are some who have been doing very well, like Kugi Wachongo, you know, in terms of sacrificially and intentionally choosing to consistently publish his books, you know, in, you know, at least his local, you know, local language or mother tongue. So when we talk about betting, like it's a way, as you have said, it's, it's, it's an issue of mindset that we choose that no matter whether there is a large market for that language or not, you know, we want that language to be available. In, I believe there is a two way. There is one approach where sometimes we see a demand, right? And then we provide the solution. But there are also cases where, you know, you create a product and you, and you expect that the product being there, the demand is going to, to grow, you know, because sometimes for many, the lack of access to resources in African language impedes the learning of those languages. Hmm. Some people, if, if I take my case, I'm from Cameroon and I live in Ghana, I really want to learn to speak the local languages, but it's so difficult to even find learning material in the most popular language in Ghana, Twi. Yeah. It's difficult to find pure, like fully a French to English dictionary in Chui. It's difficult. So having access to learning material in those local languages is hard, very, very hard. And it's a commitment which will come at a price, you know, to make that available. Yeah. Of course, that, that, that price will be uh, not just in terms of willingness, but also in terms of uh, you know, economical mm -hmm. uh, a, 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 a engagement that will have to be 
to be done. And this is where we believe that it's important for publishers to stop looking at the same source. Till now, most publishers are expecting the government to bring tax incentive or to create an enabling environment for them to do or to make things move. But they are, we have seen situations in different countries where you know sometimes we overpass the government. And the government join later when they see mm -hmm. how things are moving forward. Yeah. So how can this work? Money is the core of the money is at the core of the publishing game or the publishing industry because to publish enough books to make it available on the national market will require funding or money. You know, in Africa we we have private wealthy individuals, people whose high net worth as individuals are very high. Some country you call them economic operator, you know, or economic leaders. We should start engaging them in the conversation. We should start inviting them in the at the table for them to understand that they may be rich, yes, but if they don't invest in preserving the cultural their cultural heritage, you know, which could be preserved through writing in their local tongue or mother languages you know they go the long risk of having children that will be you know culturally illiterate children that will be identity you know uh, 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 confused because they don't have enough of component that bring them back to their language and mm. we know that language is one of the key vehicle of transmission you know of diffusion of communication of our culture mm. so this is one way that as they decide to bet they should also decide to change the approach and look at alternative ways of mobilizing resources to make, move forward with the publishing agenda of local language. There, there is much more, but uh, I will stop here for now. Thank you. No, that's great. Uh, just to read a quote from, from your article on this, you, you mentioned that one radical but costly decision can be made by publishers is to either institutionalize publishing houses or at least introduce an in-house unit that focuses only on the publication of content in African languages. This is a sacrificial and a financial risk. However, for the greater cause of promoting and preserving African languages, it is worth the price. And what, what I find very interesting about your takes on this is... There's, I, I've talked a, a lot before, um, I, I hear a lot like, oh, the government needs to step in and there needs to be funding from, you know, the government and NGOs and stuff like this. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But sometimes those things move slowly and they're very risk adverse. So publishers have an opportunity to take the lead here. Publishers that are passionate about preserving their cultural heritage in language then they can actually take the the first step, and maybe the governments will follow, which is really a, 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 an interesting spin on on this conversation. I have to ask you: um, Are you familiar with the Adi Kulibali and Emmanuel over at Bolingo? I'm sure you are, right? You're all in Accra. Are you in Accra too, Sylvain? No, I'm in Spain. Oh, you're in Spain. Okay. Well, um, Christian, at least you're you're in Accra with them. Well, I think Addy is over in like Rwanda right now, setting up an office. Yeah. yeah. But so you're familiar with the work that they're doing over at Akan News? Yes, yeah. please. Yes, yeah. we, we are familiar with the work that they are doing. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Local exactly. local exactly. people, locus local businesses like Bolingo Consult. Yeah creating these initiatives uh, for the purposes of preserving their languages. 
And I talked yeah. to them not too long ago, and uh, it's they've already, from my understanding, anyways, like other people from other countries, African countries, are talked to them about like, hey, how can I replicate this for for my exactly. languages? So that's what you're talking about when we're talking about exactly. being a leader in this space. Exactly, exactly. And 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 you know, um, I think may not be on the table, um, but. I believe that when she started, it cost her something. Oh, I'm sure. You know, it cost her, yes, it cost her time yeah. for her company to lay aside time that could have been spent on more financially profitable, you know, initiative to focus on building the Akan News website, you know. But at the end, even though the website may not be yet, I don't know if it is already, but I suppose it may not yet be financially profitable, but at least... The fact that the initiative has been started, mm -hmm. you know, it makes it, 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 it is already sparking interest. It's already sparking other initiative in other countries. And it's creating you know, demand, and, right? Because exactly. people didn't know exactly. that they wanted to read the news exactly. in Fanti. And now that they can, they're like, I want more of this. So that's going to bring other competitors, competitors. It's going to bring other publishers to the market. Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what we do expect from from publishers, you know, to also take that lead, yeah. you know, in making more books available in local languages and exploring alternative ways of making that a reality by not only depending on the government as usual. Yeah, and well, you, you speak of government, and let's let's go back to to our list here. Hold on, give me a sec. I'll pull it up. Um, we've talked about how African publishers can bet more on writers um, and creating dedicated publishing houses. Um, let's go to the policymakers. I'm going to skip ahead here. Engage policymakers to invest in and support more indigenous pub publishing efforts. Because, yes, we are talking about the publishing houses right now, but you also make the point in your article, it says, authorities should stop regarding national languages as dialects and intellectuals should be more involved with the development of such languages. Like, what are, what, how are some of the, what are some of the things that governments can do to help promote this? Even if that may not be the, the focus of, of your writings. Yes, I believe that um, many governments <laughs> theoretically are already doing well in the sense that in many of most African countries, we have at least, you know, a, a policy that encourages the use of local languages. Most countries in Africa have that already in place. Uh, I think the issue is more the level of the enforcement. How do we move from mm. policy to practice? How yeah. do we move from, you know, from uh, planning to, uh, you know, to reality? You know, and this is where we believe that government should start uh, making practical steps by allocating you know, budget for it. And I believe the issue is at a level of perspective. Perspective. You mm -hmm. know, what we do is the, is the product of how we think, you know. If we don't invest enough in African languages as policymakers, it's usually because they see that maybe the return on investment is not high and they think that there are maybe other priorities which are more important. But the thing is, when we look the return may not be immediate, but when we look on the long term, the return is greater than any other investment. Why? Because cultural diplomacy, mm -hmm. you know, the ability of selling your culture, the ability of attracting others through the cultural products that you, the cultural product and service that you produce, you know, is the one number one 
factor that generates billions of dollars across the world. We all know Nollywood. We all know, yep. you know, uh, 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 the American uh, uh, movie industry. Why is it that it is well known? Because, you know, they are selling the American dream. And the American dream is sold through a language. When we go to India, India realized that they also started investing locally in promoting their local languages, promoting their culture. And now you see a lot of Indian movies who have been exported across the world, you know. So cultural industry or the cultural and creative industry, you know, are the number one industry that generate more than any other industry in the world. Sometimes even more than natural resources because in the cultural industry, we have the music, we have theater, we have sports, we have architecture, we have all of those things where culture is the number one source of creation, you know. And the language is, I think, the primary artifact, like the first visible or tangible way of approaching a culture. So it's, it's paradoxal for our policymakers in Africa to expect our languages to expect Africa to grow by neglecting languages is it, 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 kind of choosing the wrong priority because you miss the entry door and you want to pass through the window, you know, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. So I think that there is a need of changing that perspective by understanding the strategic relevance of African language, how they contribute, not just in promoting our identity, but also in creating businesses, you know. Let's imagine that we have in, 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 in uh, Swahili being adopted as an official language across Africa, as an official language across Africa, is going automatically to create new jobs mm -hmm. because professional speakers of those languages, you know, will be able of getting translation job, transcription job for the movie industry, creating website, lo localization market, which is also growing, and so many other opportunities that are going to be created. You know, the more we use foreign languages, the more we contribute to the growth of the country that hosts that language. What do I mean by that? The more we use Chinese, the more the power of China is growing. Yep. The more we use Russian, the more the power of, of Russia is growing. Because as you use the language, you can also buy the book that has that language. And that book that you buy, the profit of it goes back to the Russian author. Mm -hmm. And the less we speak our language, the more we impoverish ourselves, you know. So that shift of mindset is critical. And this is where number two, I believe that we should stop presenting the relevance of African languages through rhetoric only. We should move from rhetoric to analytics, data, evidence. Okay. You know, in the sense that it's important for anyone doing language advocacy to bring figures because policymakers, I believe they may be slow to understand this, but I believe that if they have concrete facts, if they have evidences, you know, on how a language has contributed to increase maybe job creation, you know, they'll be more willing to explore it. So there should be more study that comes with practical facts, you know, case study on how languages are contributing to local development. And this can be used as advocacy material to convince policymakers. And finally, the third element I believe is important to do this is to invite them on the table. It will be good that when we have conversation as such, that representative of 
you know, the policymaking space or the government space or the cultural sector in one ministry that they are in the table so that they can also hear how conversations are moving and know what is actually, you know, uh, uh, being discussed by practitioners. Because we sometimes have uh, 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 policymakers or decision makers who are not practitioners in the sense that they make policy about things that they really don't have an updated perspective about it. The, the perspective that many are having is what they had when they joined the office, you know, but they have not been following, they have not been being caught, they have not been following the trend to know where things are moving. So it's important to keep them updated or to do targeted advocacy, you know, with policymakers and decision makers. There is much more, and I believe Sylvain will share on that. Thank you. Yeah, Sylvain, I'm interested to hear your perspective yeah. on this. Okay, uh, just to give another um, point on that uh, same question, you know, just to give you a practical example. So in, in Tanzania, uh, the Swahili language has been adopted as a language of instruction from year one all the way to year six. And this is what we are talking about. Uh, and this is what uh, Christian uh, elaborated beautifully. We need to stop talking and move to action. And Christian has given us a lot of benefit when it comes to social benefit, when it comes to economic benefit and all of that. So in Tanzania, Swahili is used as a, um, a medium of teaching and learning. With this, you know, we did a, a raw uh, research when teaching children in English. And we realized that when you teach them in English, they find it very difficult to understand from the beginning. However, when you teach them, uh, let's say mathematics in their local language, they easily understand. Mm. So we use like mathematics, for instance, and we said, uh, I, I will translate it after I speak it. It's an offer. Uh, so to translate this back is when you take one orange and you add another orange, how many oranges will you have? Then the children say two. But when we approached it with English, orange was not really familiar to them because that is not the language they speak. That is not the terms they use at home. Yeah, and, so, and it's a, just like from a learning and development perspective, like it's exactly. this perfect timing because like yesterday I was had a really fascinating conversation with an expert mm. in the area, area of e-learning. And there's a mm. whole psychology around like how people can retain what they learn. And in order to retain what they learn, it needs to be relevant to them. Exactly. And if you're speaking, exactly. literally speaking another language, like you can have the translation for an orange, but it's not as culturally relevant for them. So the retention's not going to be there. Exactly. Exactly. Growing up in school, we usually recite something like A for apple, yeah. B for ball. As at the time I was reciting that, I never knew what an apple was. I only saw it in pictures. And I actually thought, okay, maybe it's something for the Westerners or non-Africans and all of that. It was not really relevant to me at that point. Yeah. So we repeated it several times for several years before I could. So it was like you just chew it and you pull, and it does not hit you. So it's a constant, deliberate uh, boxing that 
our presidents or government policymakers must take. In Zimbabwe, for instance, we have 16, they have 16 official languages. 16 official languages. Yeah. And because of, uh, unfortunately, let me just put this here, because of the war happening in Mali, French is no longer an official language of Mali, but a working language. And so Bambara becomes one of the predominant, which is one of the predominant languages is used. And just to bring what uh, one initiative, beautiful initiative done by Bolingo, there was an advert by ECG, which is the electric company of Ghana. It was done in English. Meanwhile, most people do not speak English or do not understand English. Mm -hmm. So in speaking to the natives, you cannot just only use English to tell them to be, uh, or to educate them on paying their bills, their electric bills. And so Bolingo took the step to transcribe and do the voiceover of this advert in Ghana, in Chi, in most of the uh, Ghanaian languages. Mm -hmm. And that hit me because I could hear it in my language. And then my mother, who, let me say, she speaks English, do and understand English. But if it were not the case, she wouldn't have understood and would not even pay the tax in the first place. But because she heard it in her language, she would make efforts to do so. Well, there's a return so on investment factors, right there, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. And so next time, if I see this, I will actually see this as an opportunity. Okay, that I am a, um, I'm the CEO of a company and I really want to get to the indigenous. Seeing what Bolingo has done, I'll just call them and say, okay, Bolingo, I saw what you did for the, the ECG, that is the electric company of Ghana. Mm -hmm. And I want to replicate the same thing for my product, which I really want. Uh, on the market, targeting the local people. Mm -hmm. And you see that lots of people will buy into that project or will buy the product I'm selling to them. Mm -hmm. So there is a huge, we are just not it, seeing it. You need we, someone we, to take that first step, right? Exactly. There's an appetite for exactly. it. Just someone exactly. needs to go out there and do it, right? Exactly, exactly. exactly. I am um, watching the comments here and uh, Ricky. Oh, I don't, where are my comments? Well, they're here somewhere. Uh, trust me, Ricky, Ricky Kalu. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kalu Media down in South Africa. They, well, Ricky's got a bunch of different stuff that he does down there, but one of them is Kalu Media. It's a media localization company and they've got studios and all of this stuff. But he, he's making a really good point here in the comments. It says there's a shortage of data in general within African localization and language usage. And I wanted to bring this up um, because, Christian, you, I believe, were making the point about we need to turn towards making data based arguments. Yeah. And yeah. I had the same thought as you were saying that as Ricky had. Um, mm -hmm. That's a challenge, right? Because mm -hmm. there's not a lot of data out there. What's the pro What's the solution for that? What's the What's the path forward? How do we get more data? Well, first yeah, of all, we well, I, I talked about this with Adi, right? I, I yeah. believe in the manual, and it's the way that you get more data is by publishing in those local languages. Because right now, there's 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 nothing published, so there's no data, right? So, exactly. but exactly. I want to hear your thoughts, though, of course. Yes, yes. So one way of getting data about um, those languages, as you have said, is uh, basically to start creating content and also assessing what has been done already to use it for advocacy as i was previously indicating you know 
um, there is a lot which is actually being done in uh, in countries such as South Africa. South Africa has, I think, in Africa they have one of the strongest national language development program, you know, and they have this program known as the Indigenous Language Publishing Program, where it's basically the government having uh, through the South African Book Development Council, they are stimulating the growth and the development of the book sector by encouraging the publishing in local languages, you know. Mm -hmm. And what they do is that they have supported it by funding it up to 50% of the cost of publishing a book. What, what does it mean that if a publisher in South Africa want to publish a book in any of the nine, I think it's 11 official languages, official local languages, they will have a subsidized to up to 50% on the cost of, you know, book production. So yeah. it's kind of stimulate, you know, more publishers to be willing to do it. Then how is data intervening at this level? Data is intervening in the sense that it's important to assess the effectiveness and the economic benefit of such program. How does it contribute mm -hmm. to increase literacy, numeracy, you know, and the education, the quality of education in the country? And that data then can be used to then justify why the government must continue in doing that. Because we all know how foundational learning is one of the key issues or one of, one of the key challenges mm -hmm. in Africa. According to statistics from UNESCO, the last time I, I, I saw it, I was still shocked in the sense that they still indicate, I don't know if it is exactly true that up to nine children in Africa before the age of 10 are still not able of reading. You know, nine out of 10 children are still not able of fully reading and doing mathematics. You know, which is quite critical. And then we believe that one, not that I believe, I know that one of the main barriers, if we put aside other uh, issues such as maybe access to education itself, I believe one of the main barriers is the language of instruction. You can't teach people, especially in rural area, you know, in a foreign language when the language is that they are speaking at home is yeah. different. It makes things more difficult, it makes things more complicated. It makes simple concepts become complex you yeah. know and Czech and Tadjo have started a lot of linguistic research on the effectiveness of learning in local languages and he has made many evidences available which justify that learning mathematics in, in Wolof was far more efficient and effective than learning it in French you know and following Czech and Tadjo many other you know linguist researchers have also proven the same the same fact you know so i believe it's important to use those evidences already but in a more strategic way for advocacy and the advocacy here must not just be targeting the government let's explore other actor let's explore other way i've talked first about the private sector i think now with the digital era you know and digitalization and the fact that the world has become a global market he has, he has even made things easier in the sense that we can tap into the power of diaspora. We have a strong African diaspora that is contributing to Africa development more than development aid. What do I mean by that? There, there is what we call remittance, you know, the money that Africans living in the diaspora are sending, home, are sending back home. I believe in 2020, reports were indicating that it was huge, in, like it, it was huge than all the money that all the yep. country was supporting Africa in terms of aid were giving, which means what? 
Africa is not poor. There is money. And what has been traced That's that true. is just the data that is available. What about yeah. people who are sending money without using official transaction or official mm -hmm. financial institutions? So mm -hmm. it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. So the question is, how do we tap into that to yeah. promote cultural relevant projects like the promotion of African language? Well, I, One I, way is through crowdfunding. Yes, please. Well, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're on a roll. But you bring up the, the topic of the diaspora out there. And there mm. is a big appetite for, I mean, just using Ghana, since you're in Ghana right now, mm -hmm. for Ghanaians living abroad to have access to their local language or to their, exactly. their native language. Because, you know, exactly. if, if I'm born in Cameroon, um, speaking my, my mother tongue, and then moved to Germany, and I'm speaking German every day because I'm never hearing my own mother tongue, then that's that's not good, let's just say, right? That gets to a person yeah. after a while. Exactly. There, there's comfort that comes from being, having that access. And if I move abroad as an American, if I move to Japan and I have to speak Japanese all day, which I don't, first of all, um, I can go on the internet and find a bajillion resources for me. I never have to be without my native tongue. But that's not true for the African diaspora. Exactly. And this is where, uh, you know, the proposition that I was sharing of exploring alternative ways of, you know, doing things, crowd crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. I've seen self-published author mobilizing a lot of financial resources through Indiegogo through uh, a Kickstarter, you know, like there are a lot of crowdfunding platform out there where I've seen many successful, you know, literary initiatives being funded. When there is a clear story, you know, a clear argument, a clear reason why the project is needed, people are willing to give freely, mm -hmm. freely. So why are publishers, African publishers or writers not exploring that venue? Yep. Why are we not, you know, developing projects Hi, hey guy, we want to make 10,000 books or 1 million books in Swahili. And we need 10 million or, you know, let's say, let's say $1 million. Let's give. Yep. If we are giving $55, it will require less than 1 million people to do it. And it, it will get done fast. Mm -hmm. All for any crowdfunding campaign to be successful, it requires two things the credibility of the person leading the campaign, you know, and the messaging or the story. If the story the is well-crafted yeah. and the, the person leading is credible or the institution leading is are credible, they will have the money that are needed. And I want to use this opportunity to, to do a call to some of the institutions that I know can lead on such projects. Some, so some publishing houses that have a track record of publishing in local African languages who can take up such initiative. The first one is the African Book Collective, the ABC. You know, my organization, Mona Karachi, we had an, an interview with them. They are doing a very fantastic work, you know, in terms of promoting the distribution of African books. And they also do have a strong emphasis on books published in African languages. The second institution I have in mind is Bibliunef, you know, in South Africa. You know, they, 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 they create quality children books in various and most of the South African languages. 
The third one is based in Senegal, and many Senegalese will know it. It's Amalion Publishing. You know, they, are, they specialize more in academic and, and scholarly work in African languages. In South Africa, again, we have Nalibali, which I guess you may also know. You know, they promote literacy and storytelling in African languages. You know, we have Baobab Books in Zimbabwe. In Ghana here, we have Sub-Saharan Publishers with Mrs. Akos Afori, who is doing also a very good work, you know, by publishing textbook, reference material in local languages. We have the East, the East African Educational Publishers. They are based in Kenya, if I remember well, and they are doing also a good work. Or Vule Africa Publishers in Uganda. What am I trying to say by this? That we have many publishers who have a track record of having a, 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 a key component of their publishing work, you know, on African languages. They can explore alternative ways of doing. And crowdfunding is one way. Reaching out to private, wealthy individual, you know, is another way. Doing evidence, you know, evidence-based advocacy with policymakers is, is another way. But we need to change the way of doing things. We can't be doing the same thing and expect this, a different result. It's witchcraft, right. you know. To have different results, we must do things differently. You know, we must think differently, bring different stakeholders on the table to see how we can get these things done. Because we need to do it now. Or most languages in Africa are going to continue, not just to be endangered, but to disappear. We 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 realized recently there is this uh, institution, they are doing a track of the languages that are spoken in the world and how healthy they are and most most of the time the languages that are increasingly getting disappearing are Afri from africa mm -hmm. because those languages with time we see many african children who are no longer able of speaking their languages their mother languages because the parents themselves don't speak it you know or the parents themselves even though they speak it they have been so used to french or the foreign languages that you know they the frequency of them speaking a local language is low and it makes children not to be familiar with their local language. They can just hear greetings, and you know, they can hear greetings. But to have a proper and solid conversation in the local languages, they can't do it. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous. It's alarming. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, and, and then you've got this pollution of local languages with English, right? Exactly. I, I've, I've never heard a conversation in Tree that... I couldn't at least understand what they were talking about because they would mm -hmm. switch between tree and English, English. or they'd use English words, exactly. yeah. right? Yeah. So one yeah. could argue that tree has already been, I don't want to be too dramatic, but tree has been destroyed by the infusion of English languages. Nah, that's dramatic to say destroyed, but it's evolved. It's been polluted, let's just say, with, with English words. Right. Are, are you familiar with the work that Tim Brooks is doing with the Endangered Alphabets Project? That's a, I've heard about it. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting thing you should check out, too. And for all our listeners out there, sometimes I forget we have listeners when the conversation gets really interesting. Um, but Tim Brooks is a gentleman. He runs the Endangered Alphabets Project. And they do a lot of work around preserving, focusing a lot on written languages, the alphabets, right? They do a lot of work around preserving endangered languages over there. It's a really interesting research, resource as well. And there's a lot of agencies out there, but I, I like the approach that, that you're taking, which is you're saying, no, Africa, Africans need to advocate for their own languages. 
Um, and exactly. I, I, I love that. I have a lot of respect for that because as you were talking before, I was thinking your language and your culture is something that only benefits Africans and can't be appropriated. It can't be, you know, the, the Chinese can come in and buy up the fishing rights and the West can come in and purchase the gold mines. You know, natural resources can, can be, you know, taken or appropriated. Your culture can't, your language can't, right? That's something that only, only Africans are going to benefit from and therefore only Africans can promote, really. Sylvain, yeah. don't let me and, talk. Yeah, just yeah, just to add something to what Christian was saying. When it comes to the data, now I believe with my course and everything that I'm doing, and now because I'm more focused on uh, using technology to promote African languages or languages in general, there is an initiative that we are embarking at um, Open Binacle, and so Open Binacle has a subsidiary called OB Translate. And uh, Taka, the truth is that uh, we have built a system that has 789 trillion data sets, which means that the system that the algorithm we have built is able to, uh, to, to translate over 2,900 languages. And most of these languages are African languages. Mm -hmm. We need more data sets. Yep. However, we have realized that harnessing the power of technology is the way to go. Yep. Yeah, yes. it's, it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation, though, like which came first, because the technology requires data to train it. And so the more exactly. data you have, the easier the technology gets, the more technology you get, the more data, the easier it is to collect the data. So there's a snowball effect, a cumulative effect happening. Exactly. And so that is what we're actually doing. And in addressing the people in the, uh, in the diaspora and their children and everything, we have come up with an initiative to have animation for children in their local languages with transcription in English or whatever language that they, are, they, they want to have it in. However, these are animations that, you know, the children most especially when they watch, when they visualize things, they are able to keep it. So having these animations in their language, in the local languages for these children will be a plus for them to retain the languages of their mothers and all of that. And so there are so many initiatives on the continent of Africa trying uh, their best to preserve African languages, trying their best to, you know, put African languages on the internet, mm -hmm. being able to type in T, for instance, in Eber and all of that and communicate, you know, these will be able to help us uh, 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 promotes and standardize a lot of languages. And so, as my brother was saying, that uh, that is in relation to the crowdfunding, these are initiatives that need a lot of funding. And in few years to come, you see that we would have uh, um, language justice across all languages, because it's not be good to have others, other language endangered as we are all um, trying to fight for. Yeah. I want to go back to um, the comments here. Where are my comments? Because Ricky's making a few more points here. Uh, Ricky Kahlo says, promoting languages is important, but funding, fun, uh, the formalization process of major languages will accelerate the transformation. South Africa has invested a lot into this and still is not where it is meant to be. Advancing formalization of these languages is key. So basically getting them 
them recognize. And he's also asking, yep. um, can you put the names of those publishing houses that you were mentioning? I, I was yes, trying yes, yes, as you were that. talking, I was trying to like find them and bring up the websites, but it was too quick. I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, I, I will do that. Will All right. Do that. Yeah. Just put them in the comments so people, because I think that would be a really good, good resource for people. Yes. Yes. So, so I, 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 I strongly agree with, um, with, uh, Kalu, who is, uh, you know, recommending the formalization of, of those languages, because obviously, you know, if there is not a writing system, you know, if there is not writing material, like, a co like, I, I say like a codification, you know, of those languages, it makes it difficult for users, you know, to even have access to it or even to, to write it, you know, um, which is also key and needed. And basically, my main point, which I want anyone following me, you know, through this is that let's change the way of doing things. We have yep. technology, as Sylvain has indicated. Technology is available to accelerate <laughs> or to amplify the initiatives that are currently being done. We have the economic strength of Africa has also been increased. You know, we have crowdfunding, we have digital, you know, we have a lot of digital way of leveraging or creating, you know, uh, uh, money, you know. So let's not always go or expect things from the government. Like, we need to cut that mindset of being government dependent yeah. because I believe yeah. that's the main reason why African languages are not moving forward. We expect the government to do it. And if they don't do it, why? Like, what next? So we are we going to be watching our languages you know being destroyed you know yeah. i just mm -hmm. when when you mentioned about the you know the uh, this project you know the endangered alphabet project mm -hmm. i just check and i realized that the project at a time launched a kickstarter uh, you know crowdfunding oh yeah which i helped help, yes i helped promote it exactly. it was like what like thirty thousand exactly. dollars or something like that 17,881, which that, is a lot. That's just the latest one, right? There's been exactly. more. Yeah. Exa exactly. That can go a long way. Exactly. It shows what? It shows It shows that people are willing to give. Yeah. People I, are willing to support. I, I'd give. I have three kids. I probably could have mentioned this. I have three three kids that are Ghanaian by heritage that don't speak Fanti. Mm -hmm. Period. They exactly. don't at all. And I mean, neither do I, but <laughs> I mean, I, I think I could be forgiven for that, but I find it a tragedy that my kids don't speak Fanti. They should. Exactly. But there's, there's exactly. not resources now, out there. Exactly. Now imagine you see a project in Ghana, for example, you have Sub-Saharan publisher who are among one of the top in, in, in local languages. Imagine you see a project coming, a crowdfunding project coming from Sub-Saharan publisher where they clearly indicate that they want to create a lot of resource, teaching resource, teaching and learning resources around Chui to make them freely accessible, you know. And they need, I don't know, $30,000. Mm -hmm. Are you not going to give? Oh, I'd give. Yeah. Of course. I've tried to study yeah. Chui before. The only resource I could find is like this 40-year-old scanned PDF yeah. from the Foreign yeah. Service mm -hmm. Institute. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I couldn't learn tree if I wanted to. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, yeah. I could. I'm making excuses. But, yeah, I, I yeah. preach it. I, yeah. so, <laughs> I'm right there with you. So, so, <laughs> so crowdfunding is ultimately one key way that we need to explore. 
Um, the fourth way that I will also uh, suggest, you know, is um, tapping into the power of corporate social responsibility. Mm -hmm. mm. There are a lot of companies who have a lot of capital. They want to make projects that will benefit, you know, the community or that will make them good in the eyes of the nations or the citizens, you know. We can tap publishers or language activists. We can tap into it. For example, as I was saying previously, credibility is key. When you look at the cage of the endangered project, you know, why is it that they were able of raising almost $18,000? Because Tim Brooks, he has a, he, he has a long track record. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's, he, he's credible. Incredible. People know yeah. that that is something he's working on. He, he's credible. And he has also given accountability on how the money was used. Yep. People can see the impact yep. of what he's using the money for, you know. So I believe that if, you know, publishers together with, you know, maybe translation companies sit together, they put together a plan. And by the way, for those who are interested in, you know, moving into this, I'm available, you know, to join such projects or such initiatives, to put together something strong and then reaching out to local company and pitching this to them, telling them that, listen, your projects, you are doing water borehole. Yes, water borehole is good, but there are many who are focusing on that, you know. How, why don't you try as, as, as a company to be different mm -hmm. by engaging into something that will benefit the not just the community, but the whole country, the whole nation. Give us your corporate social funds, you know, and we can do much more with it, you know. We need to change our approach and change our way of doing things to generate different results. That's basically what I'm trying to push. And and not to mention, if I want to go with a fifth point, AI. Oh boy, you AI can't you can't oh you can't mention AI with two minutes left in the podcast. That's just not fair, <laughs> exactly, Christian. Exactly. I'm sorry, there is not enough time. Yeah. But yeah, it's Thank it's you. coming, and Africa is going to be left out of a lot. African languages are going to be left out unless we can start collecting those data sets, right? Yes, yeah. I yeah. believe. And we are doing so. Yeah, they, yes, they are. They are. Like yeah. Yes, I, I believe things are changing gradually. Uh, personally, with my team here at, at Kabot, uh, Kabot Group, we have we we, are, we have a language service uh, uh, department where we provide language service in African languages mainly, and we also have a network of African language specialists, you know, and African language teachers to facilitate conversation, events, reflection, and and advocacy activity on such topic. And one thing we did recently is. To generate more data, we are doing a market survey, you know, on some of this issue, you know, and we really encourage people to look go on our website and fill that survey. For those of you who are interested, I can share the link later. But basically, we need data, you know, to be able of having more solid arguments and move from rhetoric to evidence-based, you know, uh, decision-making processes. Yeah, but there is a lot that is currently going on. We are also having a discussion recently with Kowu. Kowu, uh, she's it's an organization that is developing an API, uh, an API to learn Igbo, you know, online using digital tool. We also have uh, 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 Masakane, who is also doing a lot. We also have uh, uh, deep learning in Indaba, who are going to have their conferences here in Accra very soon. Like a lot is going on, you know. We just have to be consistent, to be strategic, and to always reassess our approach to, to, to maximize the impact. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, 
We are out of time. I, I mean, I, I could keep talking. Don't, this has been super fascinating. And we've gone off script, <laughs> yeah. but that's fine by me. I hope it was as interesting to people listening as it was to me. Um, any closing thoughts, Sylvain? Okay. Um, just to reiterate that uh, the promotion and preservation of African languages mm -hmm. is our sole responsibility. Uh, there's no one coming from outside to come and help us promote our languages. In fact, maybe they might wish we just continue like this. And so in the long run, uh, African languages die. But then it is our sole responsibility to preserve and to promote um, our own mother tongues using every channel possible. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. And for those listening, I'll, I'll start taking us taking us out here. But before I let you all go, you you folks listening out there, I do want to encourage you go follow these gentlemen on LinkedIn um, to stay up to date with all of the advocacy and the work that, that they're doing out there. You can find their their links directly in the event. Just click on over their profile and make sure that you're you're following them. Heck, go follow me too, Tucker Johnson, if if you if you want to add to your followers. All right, uh, I will take us out. Ladies, gentlemen, chat, we are out of time for today. If you enjoyed this experience, then join us next time in 29 minutes when we're going to be talking about the human in the loop and what that means moving forward in a world that's increasingly run by AI. I appreciate our guests today, Christian and Sylvain. I appreciate my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all of the hard work. I appreciate everybody in our industry who's filling out surveys and responding to our requests for research so that everybody in the industry can benefit. And I appreciate you, the audience, for joining us live today. All of the questions, comments, and criticisms. I look forward to next time. Cheers.